psychotic geeks obsessed with every little detail. It'll never get on the air. Well, I think it's good for a show to go off the air before it becomes stale and repetitive. I've just been informed that we are going off the air. Off air with Emily and Catherine. Hi. Hey. Starburst eater. I was eating. I had two of them as I was like mm-hmm. voice tracking and stuff. And I did my first weather and I popped one in. And then my second weather, you can tell, is like. Juicy. It's juicy. It's a juicy weather. My second weather's juicy. <laughs> Lord, I'm starving. Yeah. I realized that at noon, that's like the middle of my day. <gasps> I'm up for about 18 hours a day mm-hmm. from like three to nine-ish. Yeah. Three-ish to nine-ish. Noon's the middle. I do so good with not overeating. <laughs> From three to noon. I'd eat mm. so much. My my eyes twitching. Yeah? It didn't it didn't do that for the longest time. Mm. Are you stressed? I don't think so. <laughs> LOL. <laughs> oh um, goodness. I saw my eat these nuts. Eat those nuts. Yeah, I am. These nuts. Shocker. <laughs> I'm into some nuts. <laughs> Gob. Uh, oh, Dateline, Friday at 10 p.m. What's happening? I don't know. I Lester it. Holt? I missed it. Mm. Goodbye. Because I get distracted. Mm. <laughs> I um, have... Yeah, I have an I have a small story like you did last week. You did a little baby one, mm-hmm. so I I have that this week too. Nice. Because there's one that I've been wanting to do, but it's not. Anything. Mine's not really long, but I figured that was okay because we have a lot to talk about. Yeah. Because we almost died Saturday. We legit almost died on Saturday. Holy shit. So we did tame the train. We did. And that is an obstacle course race. Mm-hmm. It is not quite five miles. Yeah. I tried to <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I tried to say just over four. It's not quite five. Yeah, not it's quite five, five is more accurate. It's almost five. Yeah, but it's one of those obstacle course <clears throat> races that's in the woods, and you're, like, climbing up. You can't bow out. Yeah. <clears throat> There's only a few spots There's that you can— There's only a few that you can skip. The rest of them— yeah. You're, you're in not there. getting out of those woods unless you do those obstacles. Right. Climb this hill or you're stuck here. Forever. Did you see um, Joe shared pictures of—Joe Ammerman shared pictures of Muscatatuck Park— did he? On WJCP. Whoo! <laughs> Be glad the rain started Saturday afternoon. Yeah, I'm Holy sure. Holy shit. I'll have to look at them. But, I mean, it's rained, like, nonstop, non-stop since Saturday since afternoon. Then. We were muddy. Very I am muddy. bruised up to death. I'm, I've am i got just a few scratches left on yeah. my legs, and that's it. I'm bruised, but you, I just am an idiot. You fell hard, though, on I that did. stump. I fell hard on the stump. And then I fell hard in the in the water with the tire. Oh yeah. When my tire filled up with water. Yeah. And I said, My tire's filled with water. <laughs> there and was a lot Chad of rocks flopped. in there too that yeah. that got you. Uh, we made our boss Brittany, um, we made her husband come with us. Yep. He did so well mm-hmm. that I don't care for him any longer. Yeah, he did too good. <laughs> yeah. But he stayed with us. Yeah, which was very nice of him. Very nice. <laughs> but we still don't care for him. <laughs> <laughs> it was really fun, but it was really hard. And like, mm-hmm. I waddled to my car, mm-hmm. and then which was like a half mile away. It felt it like. was it was a little <sighs> hike to get to the car. And then when I got home, I sat in the shower for forty five minutes because mm-hmm. I was just like, it just feels so good. 
A, I was cold. I had to work that night. And B, what did you? I had to come voice track old school Saturday night. Oh, nights. yeah, that's right. And then there was like tornadoes. Yeah. So all the voice tracks that I came in to do that night, didn't matter. They got all recorded yeah, over. recorded over because of. Because of weather. Stupid. But I still came in and did it. You're a badass. I went to sleep at 7 p.m. that night. I Yeah, I don't blame you. I was exhausted. Yeah. And my kids called and woke me up at 9.15 to say, can we come over? We're tired. And it's there's no power. And we miss you. And I was like, of course. And I got up for like an hour and was like, all right. <laughs> it's over. <laughs> uh, so this was my second time doing Tame the Terrain. And... I was not as physically fit this year, but it felt more fun. Yeah. Yeah. It I felt more. I, for real. It <laughs> was because I had like a buddy. Yeah. Because I started, I mean, last year, my time, I kept saying two hours. I think it was two hours. Mm-hmm. About two hours. This time, about three. Yeah. Didn't even matter. Mm-hmm. It was so much fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. It and I'm ready for hard. next year. Very hard and challenging, but it was It fun. was challenging for sure. And I forgot how... Just getting from one obstacle to the other is a bitch. Mm-hmm. Late. Yeah, that was the hardest part. That was the hardest part, getting from one obstacle to the other. Mm-hmm. It was fun. It was fun. Thanks for doing it with me. Thanks for coming with me. And Chad's going to run the half. Seriously? Yeah. We're not I'm not doing together. that one. I'm not Emily. doing that Mm-mm. Mm-mm. You don't have to. Mm-mm. There's no ropes involved. I'll ride my bike next to you, but I'm not running Oh, my it. God. <laughs> That would be great. <laughs> I would love that. Honest. <laughs> Gosh. Yeah. Um. What else? That's impressive, though, that he's doing the half. Too. Yeah. Good for him. I am pumped. I've been sending him all these links to stuff. Yeah. And you can tell he's already sick of being my friend. <laughs> he's like, what did I get myself <laughs> into? Uh. Yeah. And my boyfriend, Joe, came mm-hmm. and waited at the park in the rain for, like, it was such Four like hours. a refreshing thing to see his face when we were almost done. Oh, that's what I told him. I was like, oh, <laughs> I know. <laughs> He's right there. That's exactly how I was like, oh, my God, babe. It was so good to mm-hmm. like, I was like coming out of that. What was it? The walk on water part where we saw him? Or was it before it that? It was right before that right when before we saw that. him the first time. Yeah. And like you could hear him like cheer mm-hmm. for us. And I was like, oh, my yeah, God. I was like, yes. <laughs> I love Joe. And I love that the end is here. <laughs> <laughs> It was great. It was great. Oh, man. Um, We jumped over a fire at the end. Hell yeah. And everybody was so impressed by our epic fire jump. Oh, my gosh. It was so cool. Um, I got, like, I posted our pictures on Facebook. Yeah. Like, 60 likes on our pictures. Mm -hmm. And then I posted this slow motion video of me falling off the the rope swing. (laughs) There's over 600 fucking views on that slow motion video. (laughs) And like 130 likes. Oh. And my friends are like, ah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's okay. It was my fun. my jump was very optimistic. It was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then Emily very smartly just stood the fuck up in the like two and a half foot of water that we landed in. I completely disappear under the water. <laughs> I have like silt still in my nostrils, yeah. in my nasal cavity. Yum, it's great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Went home and Joe bought me Wendy's and it was the best oh. Wendy's I'd ever had. I stopped at Arby's on my way home. Yeah. And I I thought I was going to throw up on the way home. Yeah. And I was like, okay, seriously, like you didn't, like you worked hard, but you didn't work. 
You that, did. That, not like, you know, like if you Bark, go on a physical like a exertion to vomiting, yeah. To where you're to the point where you're going to vomit, it's like a lot. Like my physical physical exertion was spread out over 3 hours. That if you condensed it all, it definitely yeah. would have made me throw up, but I was like sitting in the car and I was driving driving home and I was like I feel like I'm going to throw up and I was like, "No." No. No. <laughs> and I was like, I think you're probably just hungry because like, I didn't eat anything. Yeah, I had a, I, ate I had a protein bar. That's not enough. And But I don't eat big breakfasts hardly ever. So I knew if I ate, mm-hmm. excuse me, like a lot, I was going to, I was for you sure going to throw, throw up. up. Yeah. So I, I hardly ate anything on my way in. Mm-hmm. And so I knew, I was like, okay, well, maybe you just don't feel good because you're like, you're freaking starving. Because right. by the time we were done, it was like. It, it was, was like one o'clock, one one yeah. fifteen. By the time I got to my car, yeah, and I and I was up at six thirty. Right, you're starving. And, and it's so, time yeah, to eat. it was like I was like, well, maybe I just don't feel good because I'm hungry. So I stopped at uh, Arby's mm-hmm. in Columbus on my way home, and I got two roast beef sandwiches and a diet coke, mm-hmm. and I picked the bread off because I knew that wouldn't make me feel any better, mm-hmm. and I ate like half of the first sandwich's roast beef, and I was like. Like, I was like, oh, you're, like, really going to throw up. I was like, that wasn't. Oh, no. (laughs) And so I was like, well, he was like, okay, whatever. So I was, like, ambitious with getting two roast beef sandwiches. And then, like, on the drive home, I managed to eat the rest of them. Good. Because I was like, oh, no, you actually were hungry. Yeah, you have to, like, (laughs) yeah. Like, the first couple bites settled, and it was like, oh, no, that's what that was. That's it. That's it. So I ate two roast beef sandwiches and drank my Diet Coke, and I went and showered and then made an impromptu trip to go see my dad for Father's Day. I love that. <laughs> so, Aww. yeah. It was, yeah. It, I mean, I went home, stopped at, got some Wendy's. Uh, Joe took me home, and then he left shortly after, and I took a monster shit and mm-hmm. sat in the bathtub forever. And then I was like, oh, I feel way better. Let's go voice track. Yeah. Let's go do old school Saturday nights. Yeah. And I did it very um, Sean the Madman McAuliffe. Yeah. Too. I was looking up. Uh, this You're song from, from 1988, old school that. jam, and I did, and I was so excited, and it didn't get to air, but that's okay. It's okay. I felt good. I was like, as long as this song good. is from 1998. I was a junior in high school, just like reflecting. Yeah, I love that. I did it. I love it so much. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh. Um. So, Ivan loved that I did Caleb's uncle. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We got some traction on our picture about it, asking Mm -hmm. where they could listen to the podcast. Oh, yeah? Yeah, because those are people who actually know the family. And I didn't even think about that. So, all the jokes I made. (laughs) Sorry, guys. (laughs) It was just for Ivan's benefit, by the way. That's all. We don't find any of this funny. No, for real. It was a terrible <laughs> situation. And I don't know if there was, like, his family thinks he didn't do it or whatever. Right. I don't know if there's any of that. And if that's the case, you know, we're sorry. Let yeah. us know. He's in jail, so that's why we yeah, we just went with it. But mm-hmm. um, no one's no one's DM'd me about it, so I'm all right. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, oh, shit, yeah, I forgot that Yeah, people— might want to listen to that one because they know the the people mm-hmm. and even think about it. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. We run the risk. Mm-hmm. And we just, we don't think any of this is funny. And honestly. We just laugh because we can look at each other and start laughing. God. 
God, that we're is just like so giggly people. We are, <laughs> especially together. My God. Hey, you remember us at lunch? <laughs> we oh, okay. So we went to the garage yesterday, yeah. and the guy, our waiter, who normally is our waiter at the garage, we walk. I go to sit down. I was like, "Is this okay?" And he's like, "Yeah, right there's okay." Two margaritas, and I was like, "No, not today. I'm bummed out." And he's like, "Me too." Yeah, like he was on our level. It was fine. I loved it. Oh, my gosh. Oh, no, I need to look up something here because I have two different years. Oh. I want to tell you about the mystery of room 1046 real quick. Okay. Before you do this. So All I right. stumbled across the story a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. and it's super short, but it's weird. Oh, hit me. On January 2nd, 1935, a man checked into room 1046 at the Hotel President in Kansas City. His name, according to the hotel register, was Roland T. Owen, and his home address was in Los Angeles. He had a cauliflower ear, brown hair, and a horizontal scar on his scalp. He had no luggage except for a hairbrush, a comb, and toothpaste. Oh. Well-groomed. Yeah. (laughs) That same day, Owen checked in at the hotel. A maid stopped by his room, and according to her, he seemed frightened. The blinds were shut tight, and the room's only source of light came from a small lamp. After the maid was done cleaning the room, Owen asked her to leave the door unlocked because he was expecting a friend. Later, when she returned with fresh towels, she saw a note on the dresser that said, quote, Don, I will be back in 15 minutes. Wait. Mm. The next morning, she returned to room 1046. It was locked from the outside, so she assumed that Owen had gone out. However, to her surprise, Owen was in the room, meaning that someone else had stopped by previously and locked him in, which I don't, that doesn't make sense. You should be able to get out. Yeah. Hotel room doors, like, you should be able to lock it regardless of where you're at. You know what I'm saying? I don't understand that, but whatever. Just like the previous night, he was sitting in the dark. Then a phone rang, so he answered and said, quote, No, Don, I don't want to eat. I'm not hungry. I just had breakfast. That same day, a motorist named named Robert Lane picked up a man near the hotel president. The man apparently told Lane that he was going to kill someone tomorrow. Later on, Lane identified the stranger he had picked up as Owen. That night, when the maid returned to room 1046 with fresh towels, she was turned away by a gruff-sounding man. The next morning, the hotel staff noticed that the telephone in room 1046 was off the hook. A bellboy was sent up to the room where he discovered Owen lying in a puddle of blood. It was obvious that he had been tortured, and when the police asked him who did this to him, he said, nobody. His wounds, according to him, were the result of him falling against the bathtub, but mysteriously, his clothes were missing. Ah! What? When the police tried to confirm Owen's identity, they found that Roland T. Owen didn't actually exist. Owen, who had by now become John Doe, died in the hospital and was to be buried in the potter's field. However, an anonymous call came asking for the burial to be postponed until funds for a proper funeral were wired. Thirteen flowers were sent for the funeral and were signed, Love Forever, Louise. In 1936, a woman read about the case and thought that Owen looked a lot like her friend's missing son, Artemis Ogletree. Ogletree's mother confirmed that the man from room 1046 was indeed her son, but the case wasn't able to progress any further. Police never found the mysterious Don, and they could never trace the mysterious woman named Louise, who funded the funeral and sent the flowers. Who's Louise? (laughs) I don't know. Oh, my gosh. It's just like this. Like, random. A quick little mystery. Yeah. Holy shit. 19, mid, mid-30s mystery. Mid-30s mystery. And you can just, mystery. like, picture it. It's like that old hotel with the little maid dress in her little maid's dress. Mm-hmm. and mm. Smell of cigars and scotch and dark and wood-filled hotel. You just picture it. 
like a picture, like a movie. <laughs> picture it like a picture. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh my goodness. Okay. Okay. Mine's not super long. That's okay. <clears throat> I wasn't sure what I was going to do this week. Um, and the last couple of last few weeks I've done like requests. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'm just going to go find something like a mystery, mm-hmm. something weird. Mm-hmm. And so I found kind of a weird one. Um, all right. And it's not like well known or anything. It was just weird. Okay. I mean, I guess you I'm might excited. know it. I don't know. Tell me about you're it. like true crime. Anyway. <clears throat> okay. 48-year-old Mary Lou Morris said goodbye to her husband, Jay, on the morning of October 12th, 2000, looked it up, and left for work. <laughs> she worked at Chase Bank in Houston, Texas, as a loan officer, uh, but she never arrived at work that day or responded to Jay's calls. He um, he called the police about 5 o'clock, or he had called, like, the operator, like, hey, where's my wife? Mm-hmm. And they're like, she didn't show up today, the operator at Chase Bank or whatever. Yeah. So he called the police. She was later found in the burned-out remains of her Chevy Lumina about three miles away from her home. Mm. Her body was so badly burned that police had trouble determining the cause of death. Her purse and wedding ring were missing, but she still had a few pieces of jewelry that had melted onto her body. Mm. Uh, So that seemed to rule out robbery as a motive. Her husband, Jay, and her ex-husband were quickly ruled out as suspects. Mary Lou Morris was known as being just very nice and sweet. She had no known enemies. Mm-hmm. You know, um, nobody, like, they were shocked at this crime, and it yeah. happened so close to her home. Ooh. Approximately six months later, Mary Lou Morris's calling card was used several times in the Galveston, Texas area, charging up almost $2,000 in calls. Um, but when the police traced the calls to, like, a young, older teen, I would guess, mm-hmm. woman, she claimed to have found the calling card inside a discarded purse in a convenience store parking lot. The purse was later returned to Mary's family, but they said it was not her purse. Her husband, Jay, also received strange phone calls after Mary's death. The caller would ask for Mary Morris, even though everyone knew she was dead, like it was a pretty mm-hmm. well-known thing. Um, the call stopped when her husband, Jay, changed the phone number at their house. Police were, una- police were able to trace the calls to a nearby apartment complex, but no further evidence was found. On October 16th, 2000, just four days later... The body of 39-year-old Mary McGinnis Morris was found in her Dodge Intrepid only 25 miles away. What? Two women with the same first and last names living in the same city found in similar manners, possibly killed in similar ways just four days apart. Oh, my God. I know. What the fuck? (laughs) I was like, ah! I would have a heart attack. <laughs> when I was labeling this in my Google Drives, I put it Mary Morris times two. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. <laughs> okay. Ooh. Uh, Mary McGinnis Morris had been beaten and shot in the head and her Dodge Intrepid's passenger side door left open. The gun that was used to shoot her belonged to her husband, Mike. It looked like someone had tried to make Mary's murder appear like a suicide, but... She had torn clothes, bruising on her wrists, and there was evidence that she had been gagged. Mm. The only item missing from the scene was one of her rings. So once again, robbery was not a motive. Oh, my God. I know. Um, Mary Morris had recently gone to her her husband to ask for a gun from him for protection. He was like a gun guy. Mm -hmm. Um, Isn't it funny? It's like if you have one gun, you have like a handful of guns. Mm -hmm. Is that how you are? I personally don't have a handful, but we have a handful in our home. Yes. There you go. See? <laughs> um, uh, so Mary McGinnis Morris 
had been having conflict with a new coworker named Dwayne Young at work. She was the medical director of a local clinic, and Dwayne was a new nurse. Um, Dwayne was let go, allegedly, when Mary had found her office kind of vandalized, like stuff had just been not ransacked, which I hate to use the word ransacked because it seems like I read it off the internet. Um, but like shit had been moved around. Um, it was like messed up a little. Somebody was in there. Yeah, who like, probably wasn't. Like if to be. I went over to your desk and like moved your shit around and knocked some things over, but not really. Yeah. Not. I mean, you could fix it back, no problem. But you'd be like, "Hey, Patra, <laughs> the fuck." <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get it. And the words "death" to her were written on Dwayne's desk calendar. What the fuck? Yeah. Um, when Dwayne when Dwayne arrived at work the morning after these things were found, he was escorted out but not before making a big scene. Mary asked her husband, Mike, for the gun after that. Um, it was registered to him, and he asked. she asked him to hide it under her car seat because she was scared of Dwayne. Oh, okay. That is the gun that definitely killed her. Okay. Mike's gun that he... He gave her. He gave her. Okay. Um, the night before Mary's body was found, she had... So she'd been working at the clinic, but, like, off hours. It wasn't... The clinic wasn't mm-hmm. open. Like, doing some weekend work. She left to go to the drugstore. Um, while she was at the drugstore, she called her friend Lori at about 5.30 to say that there was a man in the pharmacy that was creeping her out and, like, following her. Mm-hmm. Um, Lori said that she sounded obviously, like, upset and told her that she was going to quickly run back to the clinic and, like, turn off her computer and finish some things up and go home. About 15 minutes after Mary's phone call to Lori... She used her cell phone to make a frantic 911 call. The actual contents of the call have never been released to the public, but it's been implied that Mary was in the midst of being attacked. Oh, my God. There was a comment made about the call from a, like, (coughs) you okay? Yeah, it went down the wrong pipe. That happened with a nut (coughs) earlier, and I was like, oh, you're going to choke to death on a nut. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So she was in the midst of being attacked. Someone said later about the call, everyone who had to listen to it, said no one should have to hear it. Mm, so they just yeah. didn't. I get that. Yeah. And so her body was found later that evening. Oh, my gosh. Both her ex-co-worker, Dwayne, and her husband, Mike, were suspects. Mike said he was at the movies with his daughter while his wife was being murdered. Um, his daughter was like a teenager, so not super young. But he refused to take a polygraph test. Mm-hmm. He got himself a good lawyer. Like, he didn't—he went and was like, no, I'm not talking to you. I need a lawyer. Smart. Yeah. Sorry. I know that he might have killed her, but smart. Um, And he would not let his daughter be interviewed by police whatsoever. Also smart. Also smart. Uh, To me, sorry. No, go ahead. Like, to me, I know that it's, TV portrays it a lot too, but like, Mm -hmm. if you ask for a lawyer, you're like, "Mm, they're guilty. Right. But anymore, people are so manipulative and it's so easy to manipulate a case mm-hmm. that I would want a lawyer regardless of whether or not I was guilty or innocent because if I was innocent I'd be afraid that somebody was going to frame me for it especially if they thought I was a suspect like a high suspect yeah and he that's how they felt about him and your teenage child okay I love my kids they love me they would never think to put me in that position mm-hmm. but they're talking to the cops and they're like yeah but do your mom and dad fight yeah but did your dad and Mary fight well, of course they fought. Yeah. Well, did and they ever say anything weird? 
oh, well, I guess one time, you know, like. I mean, go back and listen to the whatever episode it was where it was that, like, built confession, yeah. you know, forced confession. Yeah. It's so easy for them to get, for people, not just police officers or investigators or whatever, mm-hmm. it's just so easy for people to get an idea in their mind and get you to say. Yes, dude. And, like, mm-hmm. you know. It's like, just so easy to manipulate people and to be manipulated. And we know how false confessions get pulled out of people from yeah. just all this stuff. Um, and so just imagine, like, okay, well, if your dad was going to do it, he has a lot of guns in the house, right? Right. Yeah, I guess he'd probably do it with a gun. Yeah. It's easy for a kid to say that. And then the next thing you know, the police are saying, well, his daughter said that he he was capable of Mm-hmm. Of murdering her with a gun. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's so Ugh. so I good for them for getting oh good for him for getting a lawyer and not letting his teenage daughter talk to the police. Yeah. So spoiler alert, because I'm gonna cover this probably next week. Um, the Central Park Five stuff. Oh yes. Have you watched that Netflix series at all? Not yet, no. I just started it and then there was a dateline about it, and I was like, Oh, I'm gonna watch this dateline first. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The the one kid who did not have a confession. His, like, a false confession. His mom was like, we need a lawyer. Yeah. That's the only fucking kid who didn't get on camera giving Mm -hmm. a confession. Mm -hmm. And I mean, and back then, we didn't know about false confessions. Like, that wasn't a thing in, like, what, the early 90s? Is that when it was? I think so. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. That's another story (laughs) for another week. Okay, so... Wouldn't let him talk to, wouldn't let her interview by, get interviewed by the police. According to friends and family, Mike had just, like, a few weeks prior confronted Mary about an alleged affair that she was having with a friend. He confronted both Mary and the friend. Okay. Um, They both denied being involved, and it was thought that Mike had believed him, like, mm-hmm. it was like a fight, but it all had all calmed down. Investigators also found out that Mike had a life insurance policy on Mary in which he was the beneficiary. So this life insurance policy was $700,000. Okay. It does not seem like she had that type of job mm-hmm. that you would need so much life insurance mm-hmm. to get through. Yeah. For instance, my mom's boyfriend, life partner, whatever, just passed. Mm-hmm. They had enough insurance. They had enough insurance to like bury him and help her move. Yeah, you know it was like fifteen grand, mm-hmm. something like that. I don't know. I don't get into specifics, but just enough. Um, I don't think him being the beneficiary was weird, but I do think that amount is like a lot. Yeah, I'm on. I don't know like what classifies people to get more like get that much money. Like, you know, a hundred thousand to pay off your house for the most part. Right. Get you know get a funeral, put a big chunk away whatever you need to do to, like, get through to get your life back on track. But mm-hmm. that's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot of For money. just, like, that'd be like if I had a life insurance policy out on myself for $700,000. Mm-hmm. That's too much. Yeah. I'm not going to make that much money ever. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, at about 7.30 that evening, a call was made from Mike to Mary's cell phone. So she called 911 at, like, 5.45. Mm-hmm. At 7.30... Mike called Mary's cell phone. The call was approximately, okay, um, approximately two hours after her initial 911 call for help, Mm -hmm. and it lasted for four minutes. So he was supposedly at the movies, right? Mm -hmm. Or maybe he just left the movies. Mm -hmm. Um, Mike says he called Mary and let the phone ring unanswered for four straight minutes. 
The phone company says if the call was not picked up and completed, that it would not have shown up as a call. Okay. Um, so it showed up as a four-minute call. Police and others speculated that Mary's husband, Mike, had hired a hitman to kill her, and that is who he spoke with for that four-minute long phone call. Oh, my God. Yeah, so you just call out there like, did you do it? I don't know. Also, that the hitman had killed the wrong Mary Morris the first time. Oh, my God. And had to go back and finish the job. <sighs> Mary Lou Morris's missing wedding ring was a signal of a hired hitman. The ring would have been taken to show the person who ordered the hit that the task had been completed. Mm. Um, these murders are both unsolved. Oh, my God. Yeah. Dwayne Young has been very outspoken about not being involved in Mary McGinnis Morris's death. Mm -hmm. He claims that she over-exaggerated the feud between the two and that he was not fired but resigned his position as a nurse at the clinic. Um, he has even gone so far as to get into arguments um, in, like, message board posts mm -hmm. online with Mary's family about his innocence. Oh, my gosh. To where, his fam to where her family will, like— Yeah. —was like, hey, stop talking to this guy. He's, you know, whatever. Allegedly, the day after Mary Lou Morris's death, the Houston Chronicle received a phone call where the man on the other end said that they had got the wrong Mary Morris, but it has never been confirmed that that call was for real. Mm -hmm. The police do not believe the two cases are connected. If these two murders are not connected, as the police believe, Mary Lou Morris's case has zero suspects. Sweet lady, 48 yeah. years old. She has an ex-husband who was fine, you know. They were both found. They were both found in cars. Um, anyway, but many firmly believe if the two cases are linked, the only known suspects are, are Mike Morris and Dwayne Young. Um, they think that Mike Morris hired mm -hmm. a hitman. But there's no evidence of it. There's mm -hmm. no evidence that he hired a hitman. There's no evidence that he went and shot anyone. He has an alibi. He was at the movies with his daughter. Yeah. Uh, both of the murders are unsolved. If you know something about either of these or both, contact the Houston Police Department, 713-884-3131. Oh, my God. How fucked up? So, like, four days apart, same city, same, same name. name. Found in your car, dead. Oh, my God. How would you have mistaken the first Mary Morris? Would you not have gotten a picture? Right. Would you not have gotten a fucking address? Right. Would you not have gotten, like, she works here at this clinic and she's going to be working. Mm -hmm. Make it look like Dwayne did it if you were her husband. Mm -hmm. What good timing, right? Wouldn't you have planned a little better? You would think. Maybe he hired a really shitty hitman. I mean, maybe have. Mike was really on his shit. And the and hitman did was just. Uh, yeah. Oh, my God. How fucked up? When was that? 2000. 2000. Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like neither Mary. I looked. I tried because I wanted to find out, like, how old the daughter was. Did they? Was that not Mary's daughter, too? It never really says, but it doesn't say that either woman had, like, children. Mm -hmm. And I know that's not. It's kind of uncommon. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Like, women have children. How many women are in this office that are past 35? Right. One person does not have kids past mm -hmm. 35. Out of That's it. all of them. Out of all of them. And there's, like, 
six of us or something. Well, I mean, shoot, there's one. There's like eight women in the office, and only two only of you, three, three don't have kids. Mm-hmm. It's, so it's it's strange. It's a strange situation, and we're all not married, right? So like, right? You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. That's why I think that the second Mary's husband, Mike. Mike. I think he hired a hitman. The hitman fucked up. That's what people think. And either he did, like, the same one and then he got it right or he hired a different one. But Mm -hmm. I think that's what happened. Maybe Mike Morris killed them both. Maybe. And he did that whole, like, hitman throw him off the scent thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Killed one Mary and killed the other. Mm-hmm. Or maybe he just killed them both to make it seem fucked up and not like he did it. Right. Like a weird situation. Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe it. Thank God. Changing my name to something less common. I'm changing mine to Emily Mills. Here we go. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Hit us up, Hitman. <laughs> don't. Don't do it. Just kidding. Don't. <laughs> that was a joke. It was okay. a bad joke. So that was all. And it was really short. And I wrote the whole thing. It was perfect. You because did so I, good. I was like. It was like a Reddit post and like a half of a wiki page. Yeah. And I was like, how? What? They have the <gasps> same name. So Mary Lou Morris and Mary McGinnis Morris. Mm, that's scary. Yeah. Anyway. So I have another semi-local one. Get it. And it also occurred in 1994. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> um, When I was searching last week's story. Mm-hmm. This one popped up under the same, like, headlines. Okay. um, Because it happened around the same time frame. And at first I thought it was the same. So, like, when I open, when I search, you know, you search for your, if you know what story you're doing, you search for your story. And then Mm -hmm. you just, like, click open all of the, all of the tabs so you can just switch from them. So I did that. And this was a different story. And I was like, oh, well, we're going to do this one, too. Oh, shit. (laughs) So these are the Wrinkles murders that happened in Evansville. Oh, okay. So. Hey, is Evansville north or south of us? South? I think it's south. Okay. It's like I think I think it's south no. east-ish. Okay. Not like like way southeast, but I think it's south and just like ever so slightly east. I was gonna look, but I accidentally hit Photoshop instead of So then I have to wait for the computer to So it'll catch take back seven up. years, so I don't care. <laughs> we'll have wrapped the story up and it'll be yeah, on ask. Stitcher already. Hey Siri, where's Evansville, Indiana? Okay, it's two hours and 46 minutes away. Mm-hmm. Okay, I lied. It's southwest. It's actually more, okay. more south than Louisville, but it's, like, in the tip, the tip of Indiana. Just the tip. I like the tip. Okay. How many penis references can I make in this episode? All of them. Dicks. Okay, <laughs> go. After continuous marital problems with her husband, Matthew, wonder if I had to deal with his penis, I'm just kidding. Just the tip. Just the tip. Um, this is bad. I'm I sorry. know. We're so sorry. We, we apologize. Okay. <laughs> Debbie Wrinkles and her husband Matthew were having marital problems. So she moved out of the house with their two children, going to live with her brother Tony and his wife Natalie on Tremont Drive in Evansville. Okay. In the past, Wrinkles had threatened Debbie with a gun twice. And soon after, they filed for divorce. Hey, I know what their problem was. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, his mother was concerned about his behavior and had him committed to a mental hospital. After three days of evaluation, he was released 
In the next two weeks, despite a protective order in effect, Wrinkles went looking for Debbie. He showed up at her place of employment at the homes of two or four two of her friends dressed in camouflage both times demanding to see her. He was unsuccessful each each time. Mm. On July 20th, 1994, Wrinkles, Debbie, and their attorneys met for a provisional hearing in their divorce proceeding. They reached an agreement to set aside the protective order and for Wrinkles to have visitation of the kids. They also agreed for Debbie to meet Wrinkles at the, with the kids at a restaurant later that day, but Debbie decided not to show up for the meeting. Later that night, he again dressed up in camouflage and drove to the home of Tony Fulkerson, which is her brother, where Debbie and the kids were staying. He parked a block away, cut the telephone wires, and kicked in the back door. He was armed with a 357 handgun and a knife. When he was finished, uh, Tony's wife Natalie was dead on the porch with a gunshot wound to her face. Tony was dead in the bedroom with four gunshot wounds to his face, hip, chest, and back. Debbie was dead in the hallway with a gunshot wound to her chest and shoulder area. One of the children, Lindsay, saw her father shoot her mother and then open her shirt and attempt CPR. Lindsay told him she was going to call the police, and then he fled from the house. Wrinkles was later arrested at the home of his cousin where the 357 gun was recovered. Wrinkles was found guilty on the July 21st, 1994, shooting deaths of his estranged wife, Deborah Jean Wrinkles, 31, and her brother, Mark Tony Fulkerson, 28, Fulkerson's wife, Natalie Fulkerson, 26, and was sentenced to death. That was Christopher's birthday. Like, ah, like born the day. the day Christopher was born. Holy shit. Yeah. Maybe that's why he's demented and likes to kill tadpoles. Probably. <laughs> Christopher. Um, I don't also don't like how young they were. I know. I don't like it. Um, according to police, Wrinkles was high on methamphetamine all the way through the legal process, and even after Wrinkles' fate was sealed, family members of his victims disagreed as to whether death was the appropriate punishment. May McIntyre, Debbie's mother, said his fate was well-deserved. She said, quote, I can remember all of the abuse that my daughter went through and the abuse that my whole family went through with him. Um, she chose to stay home in Evansville rather than make the trip to Michigan City at the time of his death. Some people might think I'm heartless, but I'm not, McIntyre said. He's never told me he's sorry for what he did to my children, and I don't have any remorse for him. It's never going to get any better as long as he's living. Oh, I, that hurt me. Yeah. Uh, Mary Mary Winnicky, the mother of Natalie Fulkerson, asked to grant Wrinkles clemency, preferring that he spend his entire life in prison versus the death penalty. Mm -hmm. Tracy Hobgood, the niece of Tony Fulkerson, was in the house and said she survived his wrath only because Natalie stepped in front of her. Nonetheless, she opposed his execution, attending a prayer vigil in, in Evansville on Thursday night. Uh, I think, like... This all happened in, like, I don't remember the date that, like, this stuff happened. Mm -hmm. I don't think it was in 1994. This Maybe the prayer vigil was 1994, but, like, I don't know how long it took him to get convicted. Right. Like, tried and could be months. all of yeah. that stuff. So, um, she said Eric was addicted to meth when he did this. Eric. Oh, shit. Did I? Okay, we're good. Okay. I think we're good. Okay. Thanks for noticing that. I wouldn't have noticed. You Maybe he's... Maybe his full name's Matthew Eric or Eric Matthew. Okay, regardless, he was he was addicted to meth. Damn he it. was on meth. She said he wasn't in his right mind when he did this. If they could just understand that making sure it's still going. I know. That they're killing a man tonight that really doesn't understand what he did. Hobgood said, her voice trailing off. Killing killing him tonight is not going to solve anything. Oh, so this the vigil occurred the night that he was being Okay. Lethally injected. Lethally injected. Got it. 
Um, Hobgood wrote Wrinkles a 21-page letter in March telling him that she finally forgiven him and explaining why. I forgave him because my faith allowed me to, she said. I told him I would never forget, though. Before his death, Wrinkles provided a statement intended to serve as his final statement, saying, quote, I wish I knew then what I know now. That is, as Einstein said, only a life lived for others is worth living. 15 years ago, I took the lives of people. Okay, so 15 years later is when. Okay. I'm so sorry. <laughs> he Fine. Said, 15 years ago, I took the lives of the people I loved, my wife, my friends. I did so voluntarily taking drugs to the extent that I became an addict of the worst kind. I caused enormous pain to many. I'm not proud of the man I was, but I'm no longer that man. In the past 15 years, I have come to grips with the extent of the harm I've caused. Although I, although tonight I pay for my actions with my life, it has been the last 15 years that has been the true punishment. Living with the knowledge of the pain I caused was the severest punishment possible. Tonight, my children lose their natural father. My friends lose me. My brothers grieve. More victims are created. As Albert Camus said, to kill a man in paroxysm of passion is understandable. To kill a man in a paroxysm of passion is understandable. What's a paroxysm? I don't know. Crime of passion. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. To have him killed by someone else after a calm and serious mediation on the... Start that over. To have him killed by someone else after calm and serious mediation and on the pretext of duty honorably discharged is incomprehensible. Sounds like Albert Camus just likes to use big words. Incomprehensible! So, basically him saying that, like, living over the past 15 years was the true punishment. Mm. Mary, the Natalie's mom would have been, was more right. Because he was like, well, now I'm going to die, so I don't have to yeah. suffer anymore. Yeah. His daughter, Lindsay, who is now married, so her last name's Christmas now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> His, his daughter, Lindsay Christmas, provided the following statement in handwritten form, saying, I have been contacted by several members of the media. I have been asked to give interviews. I chose to make this statement and ask the media to stop contacting me. Regardless of what my dad has done, he's still my dad. Having to relive this ordeal is, is tragic. Reliving the day I had to testify against my dad, which I did not want to do, but was forced upon me, did and has affected my life and the relationship I haven't had with my father all of these years. Recently, we have Recently, we have made peace with each other. I will go on with my life having peace within me, knowing God will take care of all of us. My father, Seth, who's her brother, and I have written a book titled Riding the White Line. If anyone wants to learn about, learn or know about my parents or circumstances, read the book when it is released. Now, I pray that dad is reunited in heaven. And this story shows a realization of shows a realization what drugs can do to themselves and others. And this country should abolish the death penalty. Our God is the loving God. He forgives all. Um, She is way nicer than me. Yeah, seriously. As his execution approached, prison officials said Wrinkles cooperated fully and complied with all instruction. instructions. He had a special meal on Tuesday night that was ordered from a Michigan City restaurant and consisted of two salads with ranch dressing, rolls, prime rib with a loaded baked potato, and pork chops with steak fries. Hey, can... I paused there to say he got two salads with ranch dressing. You know he'd been thinking about those. Yeah. He really he'd, he'd wanted been thinking that about salad some, with ranch. Some, some vegetables. Yeah. Yeah. You've yeah. been thinking about them. What anyway. Would, what would your final meal be? Oh, gosh. If I had been in prison for a while and hadn't had access to it, I'd probably want stupid Marinated pork tacos from Taco Columbus. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. I know. I like that. That's just why. It's because I'm starving right right now. now. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
But tomorrow it could be turkey and dressing because I love turkey and dressing mm-hmm. like Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. I like breadsticks. I like and I like breadsticks. And I like fried pickles. I could eat anything. I could. Yeah, you could probably hand me anything. I would do breadsticks from Fazoli's. Fazoli's breadsticks. Yeah. Get it. And some type of mac and cheese. Mm. Like and like literally any mac, as long as it's not the box craft mac and cheese with yeah, the that's powder. Bullshit. <laughs> like literally any mac and cheese. Mm. That'd probably be it. I just wanna I just wanna stuff my face full of macaroni and cheese and breadsticks. Just carve like I wouldn't it up. I wouldn't wanna get full on other things that like kinda sound like are like, okay. I just want the stuff that's really good and I'd wanna get stuffed on that. Get stuffed. Get stuffed. Mm. Um, ranch. <laughs> yeah, ranch. <laughs> Both Tuesday and Wednesday night, wrinkles requested and received doses of Ativan, an anti-anxiety drug, as many death row inmates do. On Thursday, wrinkles chose to begin his last day by skipping breakfast. Throughout the day, he met for the last time with family and friends as well as spiritual advisors. <clears throat> Among those he saw on Thursday were his daughter, Lindsay, and son, Seth. He ate snacks and had a real connected time with his family members, according to Doug Garrison, the Indiana Department of Correction Communications Chief. I wonder what snacks he ate. I don't know. Goldfish. Goldfish. Cheez-Its. See, what year did he get executed? Um, 15 years after 1994, so 2010. 2010? Nine? Wait a second. Something like that. Maybe yeah. I won't tell you. 2009-ish. So maybe he wanted a fruit roll-up. I feel like yeah. I was really into fruit roll-ups in 2009. <laughs> <laughs> what did I? <laughs> what did you eat in 2009? It was my freshman year of high school. Fruit roll-up. Just I kidding. couldn't eat fruit roll-ups. My mom never got fruit roll-ups for You're me. Your fucking mom. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. So healthy. I don't know. I don't remember what. Like, I don't remember. Anyway, when his visitors left at 4 p.m., Wrinkle showered and then was moved to a holding room next to the execution chamber. There he made phone calls. Among them were calls to people that he had come to communicate with in the Netherlands. So I wonder if those were like people that were like writing him. Yeah. From the Netherlands. I don't mm. know. He met again with spiritual advisors who left at 11 p.m. the hour they were required to do so. Stationed outside the room in which Wrinkles spent his final hour were two guards he had come to know. Garrison said he knows them and he may have even had some hand in selecting them. The list of those who would witness his, his execution was private, but Joe Cleary, one of Wrinkle's attorneys, said lawyers and spiritual advisors were present. As his final moments slipped away, his victims' families, some of whom thought he should be executed, others who preferred he live out his life in prison, waited. Some attended prayer vigils, others sat by their phones, awaiting word of his death. In the late Thursday night and early Friday morning hours, the temperature outside the prison dipped to 12 degrees and the wind whipped nearby, off nearby Lake Michigan keeping the number of protesters who often gathered outside the prison before executions to a minimum. Mm. Three execution teams made preparations, one to shackle him to a gurney and wheel him into the execution chamber, a second to hook up the IV, and a final team to start the lethal drip. In Indianapolis, Vanderburg County Prosecutor Stan Levko waited with two deputy attorneys, two deputy attorney generals. Uh, they were on hand in case any last-minute legal developments, an unlikely occurrence since wrinkles, who had exhausted his state and federal appeals the month prior, ordered his lawyers to not sleep, to not seek clemency with Governor Mitch Daniels. Indiana Department of Correction Commissioner Edwin Buss also waited at the Capitol. The team running the execution strapped wrinkles to the gurney and hooked up the IV. The governor signaled to the team in Michigan City that no last-minute challenges had delayed the execution just after midnight. 
Prison guards opened the blinds to an adjoining room so he and the witnesses could exchange a final look. When asked for his final words, he said, quote, not at this time. Let's get it done. Let's lock and load. It's plagiarized, but what the hell? The death warrant was read to Wrinkles, and Indiana began its first execution since Michael Lambert was put to death for murdering a Muncie police officer on June 15, 2007. The chemicals were pumped into his bloodstream with no complications. First, sodium pentothal rendered him unconscious. Then, pancuronium bromide paralyzed his muscles and respiratory system. Finally, potassium chloride stopped his heart. Doctors pronounced Wrinkles dead at 12.39 in the morning on Friday. He was 49. His body was transported to Evansville, where he's buried. Yikes. The end. The end. That was the Wrinkles murders. And it was because he was hopped up on drugs. Yep. According. Oh. Hopped up on drugs, and earlier that day, his wife didn't bring his kids to a restaurant that they agreed to meet at. Yep. All of that because of drugs. Damn. Don't do meth. Meth is terrible. Especially don't do meth if you have something wrong. If you have your, something wrong in your, with brain. your brain, don't. Gosh. Which 99% of us have something wrong with our brains, so. True. Don't do meth. No meth. No meth. Damn. It'll cause a meth. Ooh. In God meth. bless this meth. Oh, my God. <laughs> Sorry. This is, this is, we're bad today. I know. We're, we're on one today. We After we apologized this people. earlier, like the very first things we said this episode was like, we're sorry. We're so we offended sorry you. for being offensive. And then. And then we said shitty Offensive stuff. things. And then we're like, <laughs> offend, offend. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. shit. Um, we got a recommendation when I, because I've, you know, okay. If you're not following us on Instagram, do it because I change our artwork around just a smidge. No, no. And yeah, it's, it's it's cool, and it's more interactive. It's cool. It's cool. <laughs> At least I think it's cool because I made it. So <laughs> we got a recommendation for what story we want to do, mm. and I think I'm going to do it next week. Oh, so I like, that, like that noise. noise. <laughs> I did. I didn't even know where it came from. Actually, I was like my tongue flipping. Love my mouth. <laughs> Cut the word. Okay. Hey, we did it. I'm going to let Patrick go eat some food now. I'm going to go home. I'm going to go get a spoonful of peanut butter. I'm really fucking excited to go home. I bet. Just so sick of it. Brandon texted me back. So I'm going to read that text message. I'm going to stay for that. 